0: Hey, what's up everyone? My name is Casey. I'm the Port Perry site pastor and also our young adults pastor You're listening to the Sanctus Church podcast Our mission here at Sanctus is to glorify God by enabling people of all ages to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ Let's get our hearts ready and settled Our ears open and our posture ready to hear the message
1: Hey Sanctus Church, good morning So glad that you're joining us here today whether it's online or maybe at a physical location, maybe you're listening to this sermon in your car or on a plane, on the go train, somewhere else in the world, somewhere in Canada. No matter who you are, where you're from, where you're coming from, where you're going, you're most welcome today. I was hanging out with my son the other day and getting ready for breakfast and school. My wife and I are Uber drivers in the morning, three kids all over the place. And I said, hey, son, do you want some toast? He said, yes. So I brought out a, a bag that had a loaf of bread in it from the grocery store. And I instinctually went into the middle of the bag because I was going to give him the best piece. He said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm giving you a piece of toast. He's like, but why are you going in the middle? I said, well, it's where the best bread is. He's like, no, it's not. I said, what are you talking about, Noah? He's like, no, the ends are the best. I'm like, no one thinks the ends are the best. They're the worst part of it. He says, I love them. I said, do we need a healing prayer moment here? Like, are you okay? He's like, no, I love the ends. And I was like, no, I like the middle. Maybe you can relate to this when it's related to pizza. you ever had square pizza before? Not round pizza, square pizza. And if you actually ever get square pizza, there's always a debate with people. Do you want the middle piece with all the toppings or do you want the side with the crispy crust? See, I, when it's a piece of bread, I don't want the crust. I want the middle. When it's square pizza, I want the sides. I don't want the middle. Got that in your head? By the way, which one's your favorite? Especially the pizza thing. Crust, especially crispy crust, or middle, or toppings. You can turn to your neighbor and tell them if you want. Either or, this is what I want to share with you today. This part of the book of Romans is the best part. (laughs) This is the ultimate crispy crust, or this is the ultimate middle piece, or this is the middle or the end, depending on what you like. This is the good thing. This is the thing you want. This is the thing I want. This is the thing we want. I'm really excited to preach this today. Uh, One person put it like this. The heart of the Bible is Romans. The heart of Romans is chapter 3. The heart of chapter 3 is verse 21 through 31. Martin Luther, that great famed reformer, said, this is the chief point and the central point of Romans and the whole Bible. For all of us, again, no matter who we are, Christian for decades, months, weeks, not a follower yet, trying to check things out, uh, this small group of verses, We're all going to be challenged, encouraged. This is going to bring conviction and clarity. This is where the Christian faith gets crystallized. You can see it, understand it. You may not embrace it, but you're going to get it. Another person put it this way. Rarely does the Bible bring together in so few verses so many major theological ideas. The righteousness of God, uh, the justification, a shift in salvation, history, faith, sin, redemption, grace, propitiation, forgiveness, the justice of God. Here more than anywhere else in Romans, Paul explains why Jesus' coming is good news for messed up, sinful, needy people like us. Now, if you've been with us, you've been traveling with us, we've seen Paul in chapter 1, chapter 2, part of chapter 3, has told us in no uncertain terms that we are under the dynamic. We're under slavery when it comes to sin. We can't actually say no. We're radically corrupt, and this is expressed and found in our character, our conduct, and the cause, of course, is sin. Like I shared last week, that a very famous Russian poet said, uh, I don't know what the heart of a bad man looks like, But I know what the heart of a good man looks like. And it's terrible. So what to do? What to do? Is there any hope for or answer for the human family that's inherently sinful and broken and consistently lashing out against ourselves, others, and God? And the answers are profound, bold, beautiful, hopeful, yes. Finally, in this moment, in Romans, we get to the place where the good news comes forward and shines the brightest. This is the best piece of the thing. You see, the darker, the more deadly, the more disturbed a situation is, the more the power of God and His freedom, His peace, His liberation can be not only seen and understood, can be felt and accepted. I love when one person said, Look, the dynamic presents a dilemma for God and us. From a human point of view, how can we as such profoundly corrupt human beings ever be made righteous in the sight of a holy God? And also, divine justice demands the condemnation of humanity, yet divine love wants to reach out to a guilty human race? And Paul's going to answer and say, well, yeah, Jesus. I mean, it's always about Jesus, his calling, Jesus' is calling, Jesus' birth, Jesus' life, Jesus' teaching, Jesus' miracles, Jesus' healings, Jesus' deliverances, Jesus' physical death, Jesus' physical resurrection, Jesus' ongoing work on our behalf. Now, before we have this fresh new moment, let's just sit with what we had last Sunday. Uh, Romans 3.20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law, like the Ten Commandments. Rather, through the law, we become aware, conscious of sin. And again, like I shared, Martin Luther really brought this home when he penned these words. The principal point of the Old Testament law, like the Ten Commandments, in true Christian theology, is actually to make people not better, but worse. That is to say, to show us our sin So we can be humbled and terrified and bruised and broken and then be driven to seek comfort through Jesus. Thank God for His law. Thank God it reveals who He is. And thank God He confronts our problem. See, our condition is now clear. And yet into this broken place, Paul wants to show us God has given us a new situation and He can change our state, our circumstances, everything. And this is what he does. Here's the turning point. Uh, Romans 3.21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. Okay. I know there's a a ton of hilarious means about this these days. But I, I do need to do this. See that? Those two little words. But now. But now. Those two words are hope within themselves. A new start somehow has happened. Life change is possible again. We move from a time before Christ to a time after his perfect birth, the virgin birth, his perfect life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. There's a divine shift in history. All that was hidden, all that was waiting from heaven's view, is now been enacted. But as Paul is about to say, there's a continuity and almost like a discontinuity in God's working out salvation as we look at the Old Testament, specifically the law. Because he says, notice, this thing that's happening to you is apart from the law. The work of God through Moses, actually everything from Genesis to Malachi, can't fully contain the gospel. The law just keeps pointing us to the need for a radical external savior. Because every time we keep trying to obey the Ten Commandments, we keep falling short. And so by the law, we see who God is. And by the law, we become aware, conscious of what sin is and our sin. And it forces us again and again and again to actually need something beyond us. Something so powerful, so precious. It has to be given. It can never be earned. It's from the outside. That's why Paul says the law and the prophets point to, talk about, they testify. The whole Old Testament Again, Genesis to Malachi is foreshadow, pointing, preparing the world for one thing, for one person, Jesus, the Christ, the son of God. I love when one person said, the cross is not an afterthought by God or a plan B because plan A didn't work. It has been God's intention from the beginning of time to reveal his saving righteousness by sending his son as a sacrifice for us. So let me put it like this. Every sacrifice in the Old Testament and every ritual in the Jewish faith and every feast that took place and all the worship that happened in the time of Moses with the tabernacle, in the time of Solomon in the temple, all that was God given that makes up this awesome thing called the fabric of the authentic Jewish faith, the worship of the one true living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel is now fully understood in, expressed in, fulfilled in, and accomplished in through Jesus himself the messiah the king of the jews the son of god now paul knowing he in sheer honesty has overwhelmed us and broken us by showing us our true condition and our separation before god he now moves us to this new place this hopeful place this place where we get to see and experience a new chapter of life new life it's actually the implications of christmas are happening now hope is given now the sun is rising it's like twilight to midnight to noonday like it's just full out joy what's the answer to our rebellion what's the answer to our slavery what's the answer to our corruption verse 22 the righteousness this right standing with god is given through faith in jesus the messiah jesus christ to all believe all to all who believe therefore there's no difference between jews and non-jews oh okay slow, slow down Just put that verse back up. The righteousness is given. God does this thing. This is how God puts us right with him. God makes you righteous. God gives us a new legal standing. God makes us friends again. Like I've shared so many times. It's like we as human beings are in a courtroom And God is the judge and he has actually pronounced we are guilty and we are guilty and there's nothing we can say. And then Jesus stands up and says, yes, it's true and I'm going to go take the penalty for them. I actually am going to go to jail for them for 30, 40 years. I'm going to do that. Or it's like, uh, having a mortgage, man, these days, especially with interest interest rates go, going up, this comes home, right? Like, imagine you had a $20 million mortgage and you could never pay it off in your lifetime, nor could your children pay it off, nor could your grandchildren pay it off. And it was just like almost like a generational mortgage. And all the compound is interest and all. And someone walks in the bank and says, just so you know, I got the 20000000 million, I'm going to pay it off, and I'm also even going to pay to break the contract. That's what's being offered here. And this new standing comes when faith is enacted. Faith just means to have informed trust in something or someone. So who do we have faith in? Jesus Christ. You have to trust in Jesus. The Jesus of the Bible has to be the same as the Jesus of faith. The Jesus of faith is the same as the Jesus of history. Jesus was fully human, fully God. He is the Christ, the anointed one. We have faith in him because not only he claimed to be God and was God, not only what he did, he's the only one who died, went to the other side and came back and told us what's there. This is why it's good news of great, jo- great joy for all people. For all who believe or put their trust trust in Jesus, this thing happens to them. Now, this word believe matters. Again, if you're a seeker, a skeptic, trying to understand this, lean in. One person said it like this. When you hear the word believe, it carries the basic idea of trusting in or relying on or putting your faith in something. When used in the New Testament, related to salvation, it usually is in the present continuous form, which could be translated is believing Daily life is filled with acts of faith. We turn on the faucet and we just trust what? It's safe to drink. We drive across a bridge and we have faith. We trust it's not going to collapse. We get on airplanes all the time and we just trust we're going to be okay. We as human beings could not survive without having implicit trust in all sorts of things. Actually, almost all of life requires natural faith. And Paul says, well, if that's true in life, let me tell you, (laughs) you need to have faith supernaturally. But as Paul has said in Ephesians 2, 8, but a faith is given to you that it's not from yourself, it's a gift of God. Paul, in this moment, just sort of like if you're on a really intense roller coaster, right, and everything's amazing, he sort of, he whiplashes you back for a moment. He, He takes us back to the darkness of us, where he says, for all have sinned, And fallen short of the glory of God. One of the most penned, stated, repeated verses in history. That little verse, Romans 3.23, is the summary of chapter 1, 2, and 3. All of us have sinned. Paul said Jews, non-Jews, are under the dynamic or the power of sin. And I just need to pause and slow down and repeat this. Because we saw this at the beginning of chapter 3. We are all under sin. He does not say sins, plural. Sinful actions come because we're under sin. We're under the dynamic of sin, under the power of sin. We're controlled by sin. And again, the Bible undoes so much of what we believe. Our culture teaches us we're born good and we learn evil through family and society. The Bible says, no, you actually at conception are born sinful. You're born with a prideful bent away from God. That's why it says in Psalm 51.5, Surely at sinful I was birthed. Oh, but the baby's so cute. Yes, it is. But you don't need to teach a baby to sin. It's it's there. It's in the DNA, spiritually. And then he goes farther. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Again, like I said last week, if sin was the color blue, then every aspect of us would have a shade of blue. One speaking to a 35-year veteran at a funeral parlor said, look, I've had every age and every nationality and every body size and shape and every religion represented on my table. And when you cut a human being open and look inside, it's just never pretty. That's true physically. It's even more true spiritually. All of us have sinned. All of us condemned. All of us under the wrath of God. All of us with a heart of sin. All of us bent away from God. The most religious person on earth, the most unreligious person. Secular, spiritual, postmodern, modern, kind, unkind, wicked, righteous, baby, children, teen, young adult, adult, those being born, those dying, all under the slavery, the inability to say no to sin. We've all fallen, to use the old ad, we can't get up. We've fallen away from the glory of God, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The word glory means opinion, reputation, image, reflection. We all cannot measure up to God's holiness, His presence, His radiance. It's interesting, if you read Jewish authors... They actually speak of Adam in the Garden of Eden, sharing the literal glory of God, reflecting the literal light of God. And when he sinned, that glory disappeared in him. And we've shared that fate ever since. But that's not the end of the story. God did not let us fall farther and farther and farther. He intervened. We're fallen, but there's so much more going on. That's why Paul says, For all have sinned and fallen, short of the glory of God. Yes, and all are justified freely by His grace through redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Okay, keep that verse up. I need to unpack some of this. And are justified. The word justified is a word that every Christian and also those seeking should know about. It means to be in good standing, to be made righteous, to be acquitted, We're guilty before God, and then through the work of Jesus, we become not guilty because he takes the penalty. Now, to understand the power of this little word, notice we're not acquitted for a period of time. We're put into right relationship with God, and all sins, past, present, and future are dealt with, accounted for, and removed. And this is done, look, freely by his grace. We get declared. (coughs) We have Jesus's literal life and work transferred from, ha, from him onto us, and it's done by mercy. I love when one person pointed out, this is so powerful. Notice, God pronounces a Christian in right standing at the beginning of their relationship, not at the end. And again, this brings home the idea that God does not save a human being by what they do over a lifetime by trying, but chooses to do it for us and on our behalf of us at the beginning. So, if you embrace Jesus, you're made right, you're free, it's a gift, and then he says, we're not just justified, we get redemption. I've preached this a lot of times, so i can going to do it again. Redemption is such a powerful, amazing, offensive, beautiful, life-giving word. It means to liberate someone by paying the price or paying off a ransom. So I, I want you to catch this. In Paul's day, this word was used connected to slave markets. So if you were captured in war... Or you couldn't pay off your debts. You were sold into slavery. Period. And there were large slave markets where people bought human beings. And the idea of redemption is that a family member would walk into the slave market and would actually buy the person back to set them free. And remember... Paul has already said that human beings are under the slavery, the dominion of sin. So Jesus walks into the slave market of the human condition where we're owned by Satan and we're owned by sin and death is guaranteed and he redeems, he pays off the ransom, he buys us back and makes us his children. Hello. We're moved from darkness to light, alienation to friendship, slavery to liberty. But then Paul reminds us of the cost. Because it's so free for us and so easy for us, but it is immense. Hear these words. Romans 3.25. And by the way, for someone out there as I'm preaching, this is also going to work out some theological stuff you've been struggling with. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. Okay, I'm going to unpack this. First of all, God the Father presents Jesus. Hear that again and let that sink in. God gave Jesus over. Before the beginning of time, God within himself decides to give himself for our sakes. Salvation is free and costs heaven everything. God the Father gives Jesus up, gives Jesus over to deal with our sin. On Good Friday, the terrible events that took place, the execution of Jesus, the gloating of Satan, all the sin of the world being placed on Jesus, the death of Jesus was the very plan of God to bring deliverance into the world. He loved the world so much that he sent Jesus and exposed his holiness to sin. Now, there's so much more even going on here because we were like, this is so weird. Is this like cosmic child abuse? The father's just throwing. No, no. Remember, Jesus to the father. He, this is a triune God. There is agreement at the beginning to do this. Jesus was enforced. He willingly came and the father sent. Now, that phrase, sacrifice of atonement, is where we get an old English word called propitiation from. And it's directly connected to this Jewish religious act called the Day of Atonement. You might know it as Yom Kippur. So let me just read how another pastor summarized it. On the Day of Atonement, this is in the Jewish faith, a high priest was to take two male goats before the congregation of Israel. He'd cast lots, like flipping a coin, to determine the fate of the goat. Now, he didn't believe in chance or fate. This was a way of releasing control into God's sovereignty. The priest then would offer the goat on which the lot fell to become a sin offering. Okay, so watch this. After the high priest sacrificed a bull on his his behalf and his family so they could be clean, the high priest would enter the most holy place of the tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant was there. The Old Testament tells us right above the Ark of the Covenant was the Shekinah glory of God, the otherworldly presence of God. And above that moment, where God was, and on the ark, there's this top, and the top is called the mercy seat. The high priest, and only the high priest, could enter the most holy place, and only on the day of atonement, any other violation to be struck dead. The priest then would come in, and he'd sprinkle the blood of the sacrificed goat on the place of atonement. Okay? The place of propitiation, satisfaction. This is what it means, appeasement. The Greek version of the Old Testament, Paul uses the exact same phrase to refer to Jesus. The sacrificial rite symbolizes the satisfaction of God's holy wrath against this thing by means of death. So the high priest then would come outside. He'd lay his hands on the head of the other goat. And he'd transfer all the sin of the community symbolically to the goat. And then send the goat into the wilderness. And that became, ever know the word? Scapegoat. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul declares that the crucifixion of Jesus is the public sprinkling of blood. It is the day of atonement for everybody. It is the rite of propitiation. First, as one person says, the atonement of Christ satisfies the wrath of God and demands justice for human sin and it also deals with slander against God. So when Paul says that Jesus is our sacrifice of atonement, he's actually saying Jesus is our mercy seat and Jesus becomes our scapegoat and Jesus is the place where all of our sins are laid upon him and Jesus is the sacrifice where the blood is spilled to be placed on the mercy seat so God can actually deal with our issue and Jesus is also the high priest that stands between us and a holy God because he's the only one who's been perfect cuz He's the mediator. And this is why we get the full picture of the profundity of Jesus and why we could never earn our salvation because we can't be the sacrifice and we can't be the mercy seat and we can't be the high priest. We can't be any of this. But Jesus is all of this. One person said it like this. All of this refers to the removal of God's wrath by providing a substitute. The substitute is provided by God. The substitute, Jesus Christ, does not ignore sin, cancel sin, or pretend it doesn't. He actually, ready, absorbs God's wrath and diverts it from us to Him. God's wrath against us is just. We learned this in Romans 1 and 2. And it's spent, not withdrawn, So let us not trifle with God or trivialize his love. We'll never stand in awe of being loved by God until we reckon with the seriousness of our sin and the justice of God's wrath against us. But when by grace we wake into our unworthiness, then we can look on the suffering and the death of Christ and say, and this is love, 1 John 4.10. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be, ready, a wrath-absorbing propitiation For our sins. Now, if that's not enough, Paul rounds out this moment and he gives us sort of heaven's view and earth's view and a view beyond time. And he says, God did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance and his patience, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time as to be just and as, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God has to deal with sin, but God also loves. And so he actually says, this is where grace, mercy, love, and holiness all mingle. And then he says, look, then is the boasting? It's excluded, not even welcome in the room. Because of what law? The law law requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. We maintain a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Paul basically cries out, look everyone, we're all on the same footing. And anyone who would embrace Jesus Christ gets saved and liberated. And since there's only one one true living God, and there's only one way to salvation, it's open to all. The common denominator for all of us here at Sanctus and I run around the world, is if you embrace Jesus by faith, then there's forgiveness and unity. That's why he says, is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the non-Jews too? Yes, of course, non-Jews too. Since there's only one God who will justify the circumcised, that's a Jewish way of saying the Jews, by faith, and the uncircumcised, the non-Jews, through that same faith. We do then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. So here it is. What have we seen? What have we learned? What does all this work mean? Who deserves all the credit for salvation? God does. Who's this salvation for? Anyone who wants it. What does God's word do? What does the law do? What does the Ten Commandments do? What does it play? It shows us our sin, reveals who God actually is, and moves us towards Jesus. What good news of great joy For all people. Salvation, I want you to catch this, is transferred, not bought. Salvation is free. It's not earned. Salvation is a display of love not duty. Salvation is a declaration of faith. And when if you embrace Jesus, every single metaphor Paul uses becomes an actual living reality in your life. In the law court where we are guilty, we get justified and someone goes to jail on our behalf. In a world which is basically a massive spiritual slave market, we get bought back, we get redeemed, we get to be home again. When we face God himself, we're covered at the altar by Jesus, our high priest, their mercy seat, our ongoing sacrifice. As John said, John the Baptist, behold Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. This has been done by Christ for us. He's pardoned us. Hello. He's liberated us. He's filled in the gap for us. He's done everything for us. Now, for you who have not met Jesus in a deep, honest, authentic way, maybe this is the first time you're hearing the good news, or maybe this is the hundredth time. I'm just going to say this again. All of the above can be given to you. If you would trust in, believe in, you would receive in faith Jesus Christ and accept his work and his love on your behalf. But you have to admit you've fallen short. Like I've shared many times at Christmas, when you go to the church in Bethlehem where um, Jesus supposedly was born, it's built over the site, you have to bend down. There's this little door. That so you have to bend down to get into this huge church. Why do that? Because what that's physically demonstrating is you have to humble yourself before you enter in to beauty, life, truth, holiness, purpose. You have to admit you're fallen. You actually need to say, "I'm a sinner, needing saving." You have to come to the place where you say, I'm going to trust in Jesus alone and I'm not trusting in any other faith and any other religion or any other spirituality or my own rights or my own look. Like, no. You that are not Christians today, you need liberation. You don't need more money. You don't need more sexual expression. You don't need more power. You don't need more cultural rights. You don't need more friendships. You don't need more self-expression. For you who are not married, though, you might want it the answer is not a spouse. It's not more knowledge. It's not more education. It's not more therapy. It's not more mindfulness. It's not more meditation. It's not more spirituality. It's not being more scientifically rooted. It's not being more religious. You need liberation. You need a savior. That's why Paul said in Romans ten nine, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord And believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, which implies all the stuff he did is true. You will be saved, justified, redeemed, all the things. What do you do? What do you do with Jesus? Someone just needs to say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, and meet him. Many of us who are watching and listening, we're Christians. And um, there's a million voices in our world competing to form us, to disciple us, to make us. You know, it's funny, our mission statement is we want to, you know, become more fully devoted followers of Jesus. And yet there are a million voices telling us to become more fully devoted followers of a lot of other things. And we could have missed it. I did. But I just want to either remind you or reinvite you. In Romans 3.21 I want to go back to that, and again, I know it's a meme, but that little button, but now moment, but now, from a, apart from the righteousness, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. Those two little words, but now, are written over the door of your life. They're, they're literally like the status update of every Christian. This is the best description of who you are, what you're becoming, and what you will be. If you read through the scriptures, I love when one person pointed this, but now is used time and time again and almost all the statements drive us to see God's work in our identity. So many of us are struggling with our faith. Many people are, have walked away from their faith. We allow others, the world or the demonic to twist and break our faith when we choose not to see, to live in and identify ourselves and how God has called us and identified our identity. His voice, must have full sway and authority. So you who are Christians, I just want to end this message by going through what the scripture says you are. Ephesians 5.8 You once were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Colossians 121, once you were alienated from God, you were enemies against God in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. Anybody? 1 Corinthians 6.9, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Oh, oh, don't be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral or idolaters or adulterers or men who have sex with men or thieves or greedy or drunkards or slanderers, sl- uh, slanderers or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what some of you used to be. But you've been washed. You've been sanctified. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Oh, we're going to struggle with this stuff. We're going to be tempted towards this stuff. We're going to move towards this stuff. But we no longer root our identity in this stuff. I think it's 1 Peter 2.10. Once you were not of people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. First Peter 2.25. For you were sheep that had gone astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseers of your soul. You want to know who you are? You want to know where your identity is? You want to know how God sees you? You want to know how you live your life? being a husband wife a friend a mother a father uh, someone at work you want to here's what you are you are a child of light you are holy in God's sight because of Jesus right now. Perfect in His sight. You're free from the power of sin. We don't have to sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. You are not accused no matter your struggles. No matter what other people say about you. No matter how the demonic tried to deceive you or what they say about you. You are clean. You're in good standing of, with God through Jesus. God's Spirit lives in you. You're part of the people of God. You've been given mercy. You have returned. Your name. You're kept for God. Jesus is your shepherd. He's never going to let you go. So let the truth of God break lies that you hear. And some of you keep believing, but now is the truth of your life. And but now is your identity. As one tweeted, history should be learned from, but not lived in. But now is what is going to be set over us for all eternity. That's the amazing loving God we have. In the name of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. I pray these things. One, thank you Lord that you love us so much that you confront us with your justice, your wrath, our sinfulness, the power of death, the dominion of sin, the presence of evil to show us our lostness. I actually pray for people listening to this that still do not believe the seriousness of their lostness, that you, Holy Spirit, would open their eyes to see how lost they are. Do this because your mercy. Do this because your love. Do this so they can be driven to Christ. For other people listening right now, would this be the moment, Holy Spirit, where you take them to Jesus? And if you've never accepted Christ, you just say, I believe in my heart God raised Jesus from the dead. I do believe Jesus is Lord. I cannot save myself. I ask Jesus to forgive me, become Savior and Lord. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Just pray that and ask for eternal life to take place in you. Repent of your sins, admit your sin, and turn. Lastly, out of this incredible, life-giving, hope-stirring text, I would ask in Jesus' name that, Father and Son, you'd send the Holy Spirit to every single person within the sound of my voice and you would specifically in like a supernatural, uncanny way, point out where actually we are believing lies about ourselves and actually those lies are having more power than what you've declared over us because we're in this new day. I pray for a cleaning, a cleansing, a burning away, a rerouting, a reorientation of many people in our church so they can start living out of the God-given identity that is called into existence, because God called us. It's fought for, because Jesus died and rose again, and the Holy Spirit lives in us. Forming, forming us, forming us, form us. This deep, deep hope that will help us persevere. Thank you that you've done this for us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you haven't abandoned us. Thank you that you're producing new things. Thank you for an identity that's deeper than what we could do, ask, or buy, or try to con. Just thank you. This is deep, rooted in us, established in us. Burn away lies, we ask in Jesus' name. And we said together, Amen.
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to learn more about us, please visit our website, asanctischurch.com. You'll find ways to support our ministry and God's vision for this church. Last but not least, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to hit that follow button to be notified when another episode releases. Remember, we're all learning and growing and we get to do it together. Let's stay in touch. Let's stay connected. I hope you have felt refreshed from what you heard today. God bless always and we'll catch you next time.